Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. 2-1 Winnipeg leading Nashville after the first period in Game 7. I mentioned the WHL final could end tomorrow. Stuart Skinner has been great in goal for Swift Current. This texture says, so good to have people like Stuart Skinner in the Oilers system, allowing usual time to develop how many years until Stuart has a shot in the NHL. Oh, man. You know, it's it's always different for every player, but, but I, I, I would think that we're probably... fall of 2020 at the earliest before we see Skinner in an Oilers uniform. I, I would think we're looking at a couple of years in the minors for sure. So uh, maybe 2021 he's with the Oilers, maybe the year after. But uh, certainly promising stuff for Swift Current, and that's one of those to that anonymous texture. If I'm wrong and he's here quicker... Well, here's the thing. If I'm wrong and Stuart Skinner is here quicker, then... 2020, and I'm, I'm probably even even that might be a little bit ex- accelerated. But if if I'm wrong and Stuart Skinner is here in the next two years, something has either gone really really good for Stuart Skinner, or really really bad for the Oilers' goaltending situation that they would need him that quickly. That's how I look at that. But uh, yeah, Skinner's doing great. Very promising Oilers prospect playing for Manny Viveros with the Swift Current Broncos. And don't forget, he's an Edmonton native. He was coach of the year in the WHL. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. There's Kucherov off the feed across the blue line, right circle. Dishes to Stamp, goes right circle. Right circle, Nikita Kucherov. Setting up on the power play. Right circle, GT Miller. Right corner, Kucherov. Right circle, Miller! Dave Mishkin with the call on the Lightning Radio Network. Of course, the Bolts finishing off the Bruins in five games. They now take on the Washington Capitals in the Eastern Conference Final. We'll have game one for you tomorrow right here on 630 Ched. Matt Salmon, Director of Broadcasting for the Lightning Radio Network. Matt, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Reed. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, good to talk to you. Obviously, an exciting spring in Tampa. The Lightning looking pretty good once again. I assume it is uh, perfect hockey weather there. <laughs> uh, uh, close enough. Uh, the humidity is starting to creep in here, and, and that's what makes the summers here pretty uh sufferable, but uh, as long as they're talking, we'll go ahead and uh, ignore the weather and, and enjoy what we're seeing on the ice of late. Well, it's interesting. You and I talked late in the regular season, and 
I asked you about, well, are the Tampa Bay Lightning peaking at the right time? Are they hot going into the playoffs? There was obviously a little bit of drop-off over the last four to six weeks over the regular season, though they still finished with a uh, excellent record. But apparently not. Uh, apparently they were just saving a little bit of energy. Two pretty convincing five-game series wins. Yeah, they were certainly teasing us, although uh, I think this is something I, I know a lot of us here in Tampa who covered the team on a daily basis. Were, we really saw this since the end of the All-Star break, uh, which is honestly when the Lightning had a, a playoff spot virtually wrapped up. And, you know, it becomes a slog playing those last, you know, 25, 30 or so games over the last couple of months. And, you know, the Lightning needed to play games with meaning. They needed to play best-of-seven series against a team that they can dislike. Uh, the New Jersey series was not a total surprise. I, I figured that's kind of how it was going to play out. The Boston series, I had a good feeling that the Lightning could beat Boston. Uh, I and a lot of other people, though, didn't uh, imagine it would take five games with the last four with surgical precision to oust the Bruins. And I think that's uh, giving everybody a boost going into the conference final against Washington. I heard, saw some of Ryan Callahan's post-game comments about the Marchand situation. How is that different from spitting on a guy? How did the Lightning handle that overall? That was such a bizarre and, in my mind, unsportsmanlike play that Marchand pulled off a few times this season. Yeah, very, yeah, very unsportsmanlike, and you know we'll leave that to the league to figure out. Uh, but uh, you know, at the same time, and it actually started. You know, late in game two, I, I thought that, uh, you know, Boston was complaining about the officiating a lot, taking some uh, liberties uh, at, at the Lightning as well, even though the Lightning won that game. And I think they were trying to do the little send the message, you're going to have to face us in our barn kind of deal, you know, for games three and four. And I know it's just luck at the draw, but I, I really thought uh, that it was it was great that um, Wes McCauley was one of the referees for Game 3 because, in my opinion, Wes is one of the best in the league. And, uh, of course, it runs in his family. And you needed a no-nonsense guy to kind of dictate the flow of the game there. And, you know, the Bruins were taking liberties again in Game 3. And then, of course, you had the Marchand incident in Game 4. But one thing that I really liked about how the Lightning approached not just that incident but all of them is that they didn't get sucked into that, you know, for lack of a better term, thuggery that, you know, the Bruins practice, especially on home ice, where you can get the crowd behind you and everyone's hooting and hollering and it becomes a, a pretty oppressive place to play in. And I just really think that, you know, the Lightning players were turning the other cheek numerous times. They didn't get sucked into bad penalties. They didn't uh, give the Boston Bruins power play any more chances. I think goodness, that's a pretty good power play. And uh, that was one of the many reasons why the Lightning was able to advance from it. So, in the end, Barstan and the Bruins look rather foolish for their activities, and the Lightning get to play another round. Matt Salmon from the Lightning Radio Network joining us on Inside Sports. We'll have the Tampa Bay-Washington series as well as the Western Conference final right here on 630 Chet. So, you know, when I, when I watch the Lightning, I, and especially at times in that Boston series, I was just really impressed with their tenacity, how, you know, regardless of whether it was six foot tens at Enochara or, or whoever, every Lightning player gets in there and digs for the puck. 
and I think it all starts from there. And then the skill can go to work once you free up pucks or you're a nuisance to the other team. You know, that's me watching the Lightning game. You're around them every day. Is is that a correct assessment of, of their tenacity? And who has made sure that that attitude remains consistent with the team? I, I agree with you, and I think it actually starts a little sooner than game two. It starts with getting their butts kicked in game one. Right. And I thought John Cooper brought up a really good point afterwards, uh, and he wasn't the only one thinking it. You know, it's one thing to respect a team like the Boston Bruins. It's, it's one thing to acknowledge, okay, that's a good team over there. Yes, Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron and David Pasternak, they've been a pretty good line. They've got a very good power play. Jupiter Rask is a good goaltender, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, at the same time, the Lightning is, points-wise, the top team in the Eastern Conference. You know, you can go toe-to-toe with a team like Boston. So there comes a point where you have to end the respect and just play your game. And I thought Cooper did two, well, actually three brilliant things after game one. One is going into game two, he pretty much challenged the Braden Point-Andre Pallott line along with Tyler Johnson to be better than the Bergeron line. And certainly starting in game two, they were. They had a great series after game one. Uh, going into game three, uh, he was kind of challenging uh, or you know prodding the Stamkos, Miller, and Kucherov line, which we still haven't seen the best of yet, but they certainly provided some key goals and plays at times throughout the series. And then Coop also, uh, you know, I thought another smart thing he did to, you know, talk about tenacity was utilize that fourth line a lot more. Cedric Podcat, Chris Kunitz, and Ryan Callahan. Uh, these are guys that aren't going to knock you into the eighth row, but they're going to make you play with your face in the glass, and they're not going to make it easy on you. And I think that was the key to defeating Boston, not just letting them have their way however, whenever, wherever they wanted it. You had to make it work for it. And, uh, you know, they can be physical. They can drop the gloves if need be. Uh, they can answer for a teammate who's getting hit late. And, especially with Kunitz, uh, you can score some goals, too. So, you know, a combination of all those factors really helped out. And, uh, you know, that fourth line really provided some energy for the rest of the team. And, you know, getting that public uh, retribution, if you will, from uh, high coach John Cooper, the top two lines, hey, you have to be better. They proved that they were. They needed that little nudge, that little kick in the butt to make things go a little better. Lightning are favored against Washington, as they should be. Matt, biggest concern for the Lightning in this series? Uh, I think, uh, you know, it goes back to the respect thing. Uh, you know, I, I think both New Jersey and Boston, when it comes down to it, both teams had one really good consistent line and a decent power play. Uh, Washington has more than one really good line. Uh, they, they have two or three good lines. They have some depth on defense, a little more experience. Pretty good goaltender in Braden Holtby. And they're dangerous on, on special teams. So I think it kind of goes back to what ailed the Lightning in Game 1 against Boston. How much respect are you going to give the Washington Capitals? Yes, you do need to give some. You need to acknowledge who is out there in certain situations. But what got the Lightning to where they are now is playing their game and just not letting Washington dictate things. Uh, so I, I think if the Lightning can you know, get that first win under their belt, and you know, play the game at their pace, their style, their rules, their way, uh, then I like their chances in the series. But it's not giving up too much respect 
to the immense talent. This is probably the most talented team from top to bottom that the Lightning have seen in the playoffs. Don't give them too much respect. You, you have to know what they do and where they are, but go out there and play your game because the Lightning are built to win too and, and win now. Matt, Lightning are looking great. Thanks for the inside perspective. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs, buddy. All right. Thanks a lot, Reed. Always great to have Matt Salmon on the show. And speaking of buying people meals, as I will have to do for Jack Michaels after losing that NBA bet, uh, Matt Salmon uh, got me a, a delicious deep dish pizza at the draft in Chicago <laughs> last June at a place called Pizza Due. It was very good. Still 2-1. Jets leading the Predators about five minutes into the second period. Trucker Dave texting in. He says, hi, Reed. Just dropped off the boy at soccer. Have a smoothie and a wrap. Inside sports, shinny hockey. It's a good night. Trucker Dave, that sounds great. And I'm curious to know what level of soccer your boy plays. Could he be on the Canadian World Cup team 2026? Canada might host that tournament. Uh, as I'm sure most people know, we're not very good at soccer. Maybe we need Trucker Dave to have his son be a... Uh, Trucker Dave's soccer son, that's what we'll call him, be the star of the team Absolutely. in 2026. I'm curious to see, uh, curious to know what uh, kind of wrap he's got. Is it a chicken wrap? <laughs> it could be a chicken wrap. Is, is it a beef wrap? Probably chicken. Yeah. Chicken's good. I like chicken. <laughs> we'll continue the East Final Preview with John Walton from the Capitals booth when we get back. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Tang on the right wing to Crosby. A poke check away, and now the counter. Here come the Caps. Kuznetsov gets loose. Evgeny coming down the middle. A shot, and it comes in over. He scores! He scores! Evgeny Kuznetsov wins it for Washington! It's off to the third round. The Demons have been exercised. Good afternoon and good night, Pittsburgh. We're going to Tampa Bay. The Capitals have done it. The Capitals finally did it, beating the Pittsburgh Penguins in a playoff series. By the way, still 2-1. Jets leading the Predators second period in Game 7 there. But the man who called that goal from the Washington Capitals play-by-play seat, John Walton. John, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Doing great. Good to be with you and good to be talking about the third round. Well, the Capitals making it through after uh, years of uh, anticipation and expectation that they'd be a team going deep. Uh, They finally do it this year. And in your play-by-play call, you said they exercised the demons. And I guess that's a perfect way to sum up what the Pittsburgh Penguins have been to the Washington Capitals for many years. There's no doubt. And, you know, going back to, I mean, it's, been a generation. Uh, the Caps beat them in 94, but they lost 9 of 10 series going in. And The last two were probably the most painful because the Caps won the President's Trophy each of the last two years and the whole world thinking that this was the year that the Capitals were going to break through and they couldn't find a way to get out of the second round. So, of course, common logic would say that if you don't have Nick Backstrom, Tom Wilson, or Andre Burakovsky, who all played in your top six, you had all the roster defections like Marcus Johansson and Carl Alster and Justin Williams, and Brayden Holt being the biggest slump of his career in the middle of February, why not this be the year to go to the third round and <laughs> finally beat Pittsburgh? And I, You know what? It just says great things about this group and the coaching staff and this team to be able to be in this position to start against Tampa Bay tomorrow night. I I think this is a group to be proud of because 
They've done it as a team. They've done it defensively. They've done it with timely goals. They've done it with great goaltending. And now they're one of four teams left uh, to win a Stanley Cup once we get through the action tonight. You know, John, uh, you and I both know when you talk to hockey players, any athletes, how much of what happens on the ice or the court or the field or whatever is between the years. And was there a mental stride this year for the Capitals as, as much as anything else in beating the Penguins? Oh, there's no question. I mean, I think there's a huge bolt of adrenaline, if you'll pardon the phrase, as we sit here in Tampa, uh, just because it is something they couldn't get over. And it was seemingly a bridge too far. And Sidney Crosby is the best player in the world. And Jake Gensel is starting to look like one himself, the way he's played in the last two postseasons. And the Capitals shut him down. And they know they shut him down. And defensively, if you can shut down Sidney Crosby, you can shut down anybody. And I think that uh, renewed confidence going into game one tomorrow night here in Tampa is that you do that against a team like that, uh, then you try and turn the page against whoever's left in front of you. I mean, they could be Pittsburgh. I think this team can beat anybody. I think if you make it to the third round, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Tampa, you're Vegas, you're Winnipeg, you're Nashville, whoever it is. Uh, you get to this point, you are riding adrenaline because you've won more than one playoff series this spring. I, I think that makes you dangerous. I think anybody can win, and that's, that group certainly includes Washington. Yeah, well, that's a great comment and a good lead into my next question, and I'm sure you've been asked this by other people. Is is there any concern of of, of a letdown because they beat Pittsburgh? Is there because you know sometimes you see that with teams in the past they 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 reached a plateau they hadn't reached before, and they, even though they may not think it consciously, but sometimes there's that well we we reached somewhere new that's that's good enough type mentality sets in whether a team means it to or not. What do you sense along those lines from the Capitals? I, I don't sense that, although I understand, because I think in the moments afterward, uh, five minutes, ten minutes, a half an hour afterward, I'm not sure I didn't think the same thing, but I, I was on the plane with these guys coming home. I've been in the room the last few days. I see urgency, and I see focus, and I see determination, and I also think a lot of that stems from, quite frankly, they know for, I mean, if you're Alex Ovechkin and you're Nick Baxter especially, but if you're Brooks Orpik, if you're Matt Niskanen, you may never get this chance again. And they worked so hard to get here. Uh, you know, Brooks Orpik knows what it's all about. Uh, he, he has a cup on his resume, but they're few and far between on this team. If you are ever going to get over the hump and win the whole thing, you're never going to have a better chance than now. And, and I really believe in just talking to guys. I talked to Brett Connolly today, a, a guy who was a Tampa draft pick. Uh, he could not be more excited to have this chance to not just be in the third round, but for him, beat the team that let him go. Uh, and I, I think there's an extra motivation maybe even for him there. So I, I think everybody's motivation is different, but everybody focused on the top. You don't get to this point uh, without realizing how close it is. And if the Capitals are fortunate enough to get through Tampa, I don't think, I don't think that's going to change. John Walton, Capitals play-by-play voice, joining us on Inside Sports. Hey, i got to ask you about Braden Holtby. And it's interesting, you know, Braden is from Marshall, Saskatchewan, just outside of Lloydminster, where I worked earlier in my career. And I can remember Braden coming home in the summers from playing in the WHL and uh, being a catcher on the senior men's baseball team in Lloyd as a 17- and 18-year-old, which was pretty cool at the time. But, I mean, you don't go this deep in the playoffs without good goaltending, but obviously he didn't start the playoffs. Take us a little bit through his journey and and handling some tough times and handling, obviously, what basically amounts to a demotion at the start of the playoffs and then bouncing back. 
Yeah, you don't draw it up this way, but I think ultimately now that the cap starts in mid-May, hopefully late May, and maybe even into June, it might be the best thing that ever happened because Braden ends up sitting in February in a decent amount of March and had a lot of games where he had the ball cap on and had to sit down and reset and after playing a ton of games over the course of four years and as consistent as any goaltender in the league over the last four years. Uh, but ran into some trouble in February and didn't start the postseason because Philip Grubauer, quite frankly, was the better goaltender down the stretch. And when Philip faltered, Braden said, that's my net, you're not getting it back. Not necessarily to Philip, but just as a statement to the organization that I, I'm the guy, I have been the guy, I will be the guy, and let's do this thing. Uh, that's the way that we saw it from upstairs. And Braden, I think, has been the best goaltender in this postseason. And the scary part for the other teams that are in the field going into round three Braden's the most rested of the three, too, because he didn't play as much down the stretch. And he probably has maybe a little bit more jam than, you know, and Andre Vasilevsky, who played a ton of hockey coming into this series and now playing in late May. And this is the first time he's had significant action late in a playoff series. He had a little, I guess, a few years ago, but he wasn't the guy. Now he's the guy. Uh, and Braden knows what it's like to be the guy for more than 70 playoff games now. So... I, I think it's an interesting season for him, and in some ways it embodies what this organization has gone through. You know, you have to battle through a whole lot of adversity, but once you do, it looks pretty good on the other side. I think that's where everybody hopes this thing's going to end up. All right. Well, going to be a fun series, and good to see the Capitals uh, finally make it back to the East Final for the first time in a couple of decades. John, thanks for checking in tonight. Enjoy calling this series, man. Uh, we'll be This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Subban to Johansson, right faceoff dot. Flipped it back to drive the score! B.K. Subban, the drive from straight away, and the Predators on the power play have cut the Winnipeg lead in half. That is the most recent goal in the Nashville-Winnipeg game as called by the great Pete Weber on the Predators Radio Network. P.K. Subban power play goal in the first period. We're now four minutes left in the second period. 2-1 Jets leading it. If you missed the details earlier, the Jets scored two goals in 2-0-7. Two goals on seven shots. Both, uh, well, not the greatest goals on Pecorino. He was pulled. UC Soros has uh, been playing since then and doing pretty well for the Predators. 2-1 Jets, a tense one. 3.35 left in the second period. Hey, Thanks for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 630 Ched. The mystery of Trucker Dave's rap has been answered. Kellen, he has and? texted back. Trucker Dave enjoying a chicken pesto wrap. Ooh. There you go. Solid choice. You were right. There was chicken in it. I assume he's eaten it by now. He texted a few minutes ago. I'm sure it was delicious. Unless he's nibbling. I don't think he's going to eat part of it now and save the rest for his after his shinny hockey game. Could get a little pungent in the... Uh, Dressing room, leaving food in there. <laughs> All right. So, Capitals and Bolts tomorrow. We had the preview of the East Final in the last half hour. Remember, all the conference final games are on 630 Ched. The West Final will start on Saturday in either Nashville or Winnipeg, hosting the Vegas Golden Knights. And we're pleased to welcome back to the show Brian Blessing from the Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, how are you doing, buddy? Reed, I'm doing great, man. You, you, you had me with the chicken wrap, but I'm not a fan of pesto. So, <laughs> well, 
Well, you know what? I, I have a nut allergy, Brian, so if they make the pesto with the pine nuts, <laughs> I, I can't even have it. So, yeah. yeah but... Well, yeah, Pat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How are things in Vegas, buddy? Man, what? What? Like, it's not, you, you can't even call it. Well, I mean, it is amazing, but you can't be surprised anymore. They've been good front to back, and now they're in the Final Four. Uh, listen, we've been chatting all year long, Reed, and it was readily apparent early on this was a, a really, you know, it was a good team. Uh, they survived the goalie injuries and then went on a run, and everybody kept waiting for the shoe to drop. But this team with speed, uh, it was just a remarkable story. And, you know, and what's going on right now, I just kind of, you know, advanced to now, and we saw this all year long. Here you go in the shutout or the closeout game with San Jose, and you throw Ryan Reeves in a lineup, and he comes off a long layoff, and he plays great. They did that all year long. They inserted Oscar Lindbergh. He played good. Uh, we've seen this time and time again. He sat Ryan Carpenter for a game, put him back in, and Carpenter played great. Galant's been pushing all the right buttons, and this team is really healthy now, finally. Well, you made a good point, and I mean, I, you know, not, not to go back too far, but that's a great point about surviving the goalie injuries, Brian, because, you know, you knew with Marc-Andre Fleury they, they'd get pretty good goaltending. Maybe they'd have a chance in, in, in most games or hang around or lose a lot of games 3-2 or whatever, but they didn't have them, and they survived that. And let's face it, Brian, who really took advantage of the Vegas goalie injuries except for the Edmonton Oilers in November. That's the crazy thing about the whole scenario. Reed, I make sure I say these two words every day on my radio show. I say Max Lagasse every day. Right. And I said it back then, and I said, who knows how this story's going to be written, but when it's all said and done, don't forget what Max Lagasse did. The kid never faced a rubber in an NHL game. They were down to their fourth goalie, played 14 games, played 500 hockey, he saved their season. And when he got sent back down and Flurry came back, I said, don't ever forget what Max Lagasse did for this team. And now we're all way down the road. And the kid's back up. He's kind of one of the black shirts now. But what Lagasse did for this team uh, really set them on their way. He saved the season. Brian Blessing joining us from the Vegas Hockey Hotline. We've been talking to him all well beyond just this past season for the last two or three years about uh, the the Golden Knights coming into the league and now their amazing inaugural season. So I'll ask you the the the, the million dollar question that I that I know sometimes people hate being asked, but I'll throw it at you anyway. Like you know, look look Vegas has been amazing. They're deep. They're fast. They got good goalies. They're playing well. Uh, Nashville and Winnipeg. Look, top two teams in the regular season. Is there a better matchup for the Golden Knights, or is that not even a real thing at this time of year? I think it's really close. Um, I, I all along, I had Nashville against Tampa in the finals from day one. Uh, we'll see how this all plays out tonight. If, if Soros kind of comes in and saves the day, Shifley just scored. Um, by the way, Shifley just ripped one home. There you go. 3-1. So Jets are up 3-1 now. What a great player he is. Uh, it, it's going to be very interesting. I think the Jets are deeper in terms of what they bring to the table uh, from being able to put the puck in the net. I mean, it is one of my favorite players in the league is Ellers, and he hasn't even scored the playoffs yet. Uh, but I think Nashville, with their defense, uh, I think their depth on defense, is what makes them interesting, but now you got questions in goal. Although Saros shut out the Golden Knights on January 16th, he stopped all 43 shots. But 
if it were the Jets, and right now it looks like it's the Jets, I, I think Vegas' speed will be interesting. I don't, I don't put one ounce of credence in anything that happened in the regular season, ever. Uh, you know, they got lit up, Vegas did, when they went to Winnipeg one night. It was 7-4 was the final score, but that was not blurry, and it was uh, back-to-back nights after playing uh, in Minnesota. I, I think it will be Vegas' team speed. Uh, will be their edge, in the, you know, for them if they're going to succeed. And uh, you know, Winnipeg size—they're remarkable. When you sit, at, when you're at the arena and Winnipeg steps on the ice, it's like an NBA team on skates. They're huge. <laughs> I've never, I've never heard anyone put it that way. That is, that is a good way to put it, uh, for sure. So three-one Winnipeg over Nashville, down to a minute fourteen left in the second period. Shifley with that incredible shot fired home a mid-range one-timer. Soros uh, would have had to have a wingspan of above an NBA player to get across. Would have had to be minute bowl to stop that one, Brian. There's a reference right. for you. Well, yeah, beautiful. Well, I'll, I'll throw an old, an old one at you. I mean, Pekka Rennie just again proved the point tonight that uh, it's a little-known fact that if you put a sieve inside a sieve, it's still a sieve. Jeez. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. There's there's, there's a good one. Uh, okay, here's another one for you. Look, they're 8-2 and two in the playoffs. Who, who's who's Vegas's playoff MVP right now, do you think, Brian? Oh, it's Flurry. He's the Tom yeah. Smythe winner. But there, there would be no doubt if they were to win it. Uh, he, and I would say this to you, Reed, and I... I don't think there's an argument. Hellebuck's been very good. Um, I think that the guy possibly would be the, the uh, marginally close second would be Holtby uh, since he came in for Washington. But for Vegas to say you're in the Final Four uh, and you never know where it's going to come, the first line's been amazing. They The first line outscored San Jose 17 points to three in six games. But you know Vegas rolls four lines, and that's their strength. To sit here at this point and say you're in the final four, uh, at the moment, I think it's fair. Vegas has the goaltender playing at the best level, at the highest level, uh, and that certainly gives them the big puncher's chance here of making it to the conference finals. Nashville now on the power play uh, just had a great opportunity from down low. Hellebuck able to hold the fort, so still 3-1 for the Jets late in the second period. Brian, before I let you go, I am going to throw a curveball at you with a with a baseball sure. question. And I actually debated should I let Brian know ahead of time uh, that I'm going to ask him this, but I thought no, I'll, I'll get his honest reaction, and I know you'll be able to roll roll with it. And look, I, I consider you. I hope you don't mind an honorary Canadian because you lived in Buffalo a long time. Uh, you've you've you had a hockey show in Vegas for several years before they had a team. You know as much about the game uh, as anybody, so I, I consider you an honorary Canadian. So James Paxton from the Mariners, Canadian kid, no hits the Blue Jays a couple of days ago, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so last night I had a, a Bill Humber on the show, Canadian baseball historian, incredible guest. He's actually going into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, for his work as a historian, which is pretty cool. So I put the question on my Twitter account, who's the greatest Canadian big leaguer of all time? And Larry these, Walker. Okay, here's the thing. But i got to give you the percentage of the votes from, from the, the voters on Twitter. Larry Walker got 50%, Joey Votto got 35%, and Fergie Jenkins got 13%. Now, is this a generational oh, thing? Bert? Yeah. Fergie, Fergie Jenkins is very interesting. You know, I, I'll tell you what, when I was a teenager, man, it's, it's not fun getting old. But when I, when I was a teenager, lived in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. It's equidistant from 
city in Philly, and we'd go down to, uh, uh, I mean, I'm old enough to have been back to Connie Mack Stadium in Philly, but we used to go to the vet. And, boy, back then the National League was great with, you know, the, the Pirates with Stargell and, uh, you know, the, the Cubs had Fergie Jenkins and the Phillies were loaded. Yeah, Fergie Jenkins is a stud. Hey, that's a good one. Well, and nothing against, you know, Votto or, or, or Walker. And I wasn't surprised to see Walker win. Um, but I think maybe, you know, hey, and I, I'm not even really old enough to have seen Jenkins pitch. There's not as much video from that era. But I think maybe if that, if I'd only asked people, yeah, over the age of 55 or 60, uh, Jenkins probably would have been at least second and maybe would have edged out Walker. But a fun question, so yeah. I thought I'd throw it at you. No, it's interesting. That, that's an age thing. It's funny, like, I, I heard the guys on radio here they were talking about oh the greatest uh, hockey rats of all time and uh, you know and, and they're younger guys and they're, oh sean avery sean avery what are you, are you i'm like <laughs> are you kidding me i'm like you know there, there, there was the true rat there was your kendall ken lindsman dale hunter i mean you know i mean you've got to love the guy that was the rat in hockey although marshawn's taking it to the most ridiculous of all levels i mean this please put that act to bed yeah, hopefully he's he's done with that. Uh, Brian, the Golden Knights aren't done, which means we're not done with you. We'll do this again before the, the end of the playoffs. Love having you on the show, buddy. Enjoy the third round. I'm going to go in my bridge right now, Reed. If there's any pesto in there, I'm throwing it out. <laughs> there we go. See you, Brian. See you, bud. Brian Blessing checking in, host of Sportsbook Live in the Vegas Hockey Hotline, AM 1410 in Las Vegas. It is 7.47, second period just ended. Can Winnipeg do it? They're looking good, up 3-1 on the Predators through two. Mariners leading the Blue Jays 8-3 after eight. Inside Sports on Chet. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Well, we've been playing some Game 7 moments throughout the show tonight. Stefan Matteau in overtime. Wales Conference Final in 1994. Rangers over Devils. They would then beat Vancouver in Game 7, not in overtime, to win the Stanley Cup that season. Uh, Nick texting the show. He says, uh, hey, read about your baseball pool or poll. How come Justin Morneau wasn't on the list? He was a multi-year All-Star and Derby participant. Wow, I didn't think I'd uh, get a text about my very informal <laughs> baseball. No, cool cool question, but again, it's it's an informal poll, Kellen. I put it out there on Twitter. I had to pick three players. In my mind, Jenkins, Votto, and Walker are the greatest Canadian baseball players of all time. Right. Justin Morneau did win an MVP, as uh, has Joey Votto, uh, as did Larry Walker. Uh, Votto has, you know, Joey Votto has finished in the top ten in MVP voting six times in his career. Uh, Justin Morneau did it twice. Larry Walker did it four times. Votto has a 313... uh, Pardon me, Votto has a 312 career batting average, and of course he's still playing uh, at the age of 34. Morneau with a 281 batting average... Uh, see, I, I would, I I would put 
you know, Morneau's obviously an exceptional player. I understand why you'd throw his name into the debate. Uh, well, Walker's offensive numbers, you know, 313 average. Uh, what did he average? He averaged 31 home runs a season. He hit 379 in 1991 and didn't win the MVP that year. Um, now, Walker played in a more offensive era, but he was pretty good. I mean, I think for position players, it's between Walker and Votto, and for pitchers, it's Ferguson Jenkins. Not and look, there's been there have been some really good Canadian players, but when you're talking about the best, you can only you can only pick one. So uh, to me, to me, it's Walker one, Jenkins two, Votto three. Absolutely. And more more would be in the, the top. I mean, Terry Poole is a name people throw out there, right? So no, it's a good debate. Thanks for that text from. Uh, Nick and hey, I, if you win an MVP in baseball and, and you're in the top ten a couple other times, you've had a pretty great career. Three one Winnipeg uh, leading Nashville after two periods. Mark Shifley with the most recent goal in that game. So the Jets looking very good. Twenty minutes away from moving on to the conference final and winning Game Seven for the first time ever. That stat I gave earlier, this incarnation of the Jets, Kellen, that came from Atlanta, mm-hmm. have never played in a Game Seven. The Winnipeg Jets, who are now the currently Arizona Coyotes, played two Game 7s while in Winnipeg. In 1990, they lost 4-1 to the Oilers at Northlands Coliseum. In 1992, in Vancouver, they lost 5-0 to the Canucks. So there you go. This is the 171st Game 7. The home team has won exactly 100, the road team, with the advantage tonight. The WHL final can end tomorrow. Swift current at Everett. Broncos are up 3-1 in the series. And as we mentioned, Oilers prospect Stuart Skinner, exceptional in net for the Broncos. Just a quick update on that. Blue Jays score uh, now 9-3 for the Mariners in the top of the ninth. A six-way tie for the lead after the opening round at the Players' Championship. Six players at six under par, including Dustin Johnson and Matt Kuchar. Canada 5-0 over Norway at the Worlds. McDavid with a hat trick. So tomorrow at 6, no inside sports. We'll have game one between the Capitals and the Lightning. We'll have every conference final game for you right here on 630 Chet. Thanks to the studio producer, Kellen Kennedy. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. This is our final show before Mother's Day. I'm Louise Wilkins' son, Reed. Talk to you soon. Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.